Well, uh, the church I went to had this giant grandfather clock that hung on the wall to make sure that I got done with my sermons on time. You have a little bitty clock here that it'd be easy for me to ignore. And it's always a dangerous thing to give a retired preacher who doesn't get to preach often the opportunity to speak. Well, now in the first service, I started this story out saying it was 1996. And if you start out with wrong information, everything you say after that is suspect. So let me get it straight. It was 1966. And I had just finished my first semester as a sophomore at uh, Adrian College, a small Methodist school in southern Michigan. I was getting ready to go home for a semester break, Christmas break, you know, and uh, I had no idea where the money for second semester was coming from. Now, my parents uh, didn't help me with, with college. They, they really couldn't afford it. I mean, tuition was only $1,600. And you think, boy, that's pretty cheap. But, you know, you could buy a brand new Mustang for just under $2,400 back then. The, the average household income was $7,400 a year. So $1,600 plus room, board, and books, that got to be quite a bit of money back then. I had squirreled away $100 to pay for my books. I, uh, I was paying for my food by working in the dining hall, so that was taken care of. I, I could shovel a little snow when I went home for a Christmas vacation, so maybe I could get the 200 and $50 or so that I needed for room, but where was I going to get that $800 for tuition for the second semester? I had no idea. I hoped I could come back to school and go to the bursar's office and maybe work out something with them uh, so they, I could finish that, uh, that second semester. And on my way over to uh, the office, I, I went through the student union, and there we each had a mailbox, and and so I stopped to look at what mail came in, and there was a check for $500 from the Clarenceville United Methodist Church. Clarenceville United? Where, where are I knew nobody in Clarenceville. I'd never heard of the place. Where did $500 come from? Well, it turns out that they had taken a Christmas offering and they sent it to Dr. McNaughton, the head of the religion department, with the instructions that he should give it to a pre-ministerial student who he thought could benefit from that money. Now, I want to tell you, I wasn't the only pre-ministerial student there. there we, I'm just thinking this week how many were, and I could name 15 of my fellow students who were all going into the ministry. And somehow, Dr. McNaughton identified me. Wow, lucky, eh? And then I took out a student loan for the, the balance from the denomination that, that you guys support with your Methodist uh, Student Day offering. That, so, um, yeah, I, I was able to pay for that thing. I was lucky, fortunate. What a great coincidence, some would say. But I want to tell you, with none of those things, I'm convinced that through the eyes of faith... God knew I had a need, and somehow he provided just what I needed, just when I needed it. 
I have no idea if Clarenceville ever did that before or if they ever did it again, but they did it right then when I needed it. Some years later, I had the opportunity to, to preach at the Clarenceville Church, and I, I told them that story, and I thanked them for what they had done, and I told them that they'd have to decide after the sermon whether it was a worthy investment or not. And so I suppose uh, you'll have to do the, the same, same thing. But my question to you today, what has there been in your life that uh, some people would say, wow, that was a great coincidence, that, that was lucky, that was fortunate. But for you, through the eyes of faith, you know that God's hand was at work, meeting you in your hour of need. What is that, that time? I think maybe that was a, a question that uh, David was answering when Psalm 18 was, was penned. Psalm 18, uh, the third longest psalm that we have, just Psalm 78 is a little longer, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm we have. So here is Psalm 18. I, 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 I was a little bit suspicious that maybe Steve decided to take vacation when this psalm came along because there's at least five different sermons you could get out of there and deciding which one uh, is a bit of a task, but uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, so here is David. You know, uh, let, let me say, the, it's one of the royal psalms, the royal psalms, there's about nine of them, I think, in our collection of psalms. Royal psalms are uh, ones that speak to the spiritual life of the royals that uh, was used by the royals um, in their own worship, and we have those for us. Uh, but this isn't the only time that this prayer shows up in Scripture, and it isn't even the first time. If you pick up your pew Bible... And if you were to turn to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 22, you can find that on page 324 of your pew Bible. And you put a finger there, and then you can turn to page 543 and find Psalm 18. And you look at them, they are the same, pretty much the same thing. Uh, uh, and if Steve were here, he, this is the point at which he would say, if you don't have a Bible, we want to solve that problem for you. So uh, on your way out today, as you go across the, the uh, vestibule out there, across Fellowship Hall, you'll find a rack with Bibles on it. You, you pick yourself up a Bible. We want you to have a Bible. Okay? But if you look at those two Psalms, when, when I come to Scripture... Uh, there's a couple of questions that I ask myself that help me uh, study Scripture. And the first of these is, what's the, the uh, context? What's the historical context of this Scripture? Why, why is this Scripture here? Why did, was it pinned? And out of all of the, the stories of faith that were told and collected, why did this one make it into the canon? What do I need to know that this story is telling me? The second question I ask myself is, when I read this scripture, what do I discover about the nature and character and working and intention of God? What do I discover about God in that scripture? And then the third thing I ask myself is, where do I find myself in this scripture? How is this scripture speaking to me? Am I a character in this story? Uh, what is my relationship to God in this uh, part of scripture? 
Or how does God want me to respond as a result of reading these scriptures? So these are kind of three questions that I bring with me when I come to uh, uh, study a scripture, and, and maybe they would be helpful to you as well. So when I look at this uh, Psalm 18 and then turn to, to um, where it first appears in, in 2 Samuel, uh, I notice that it's recorded in Samuel close to the end of David's life. So maybe, maybe David is looking back over his life. And he's thinking all of those times when he was faced with overwhelming odds. You know, from the time he was a little kid with that little bitty slingshot and uh, that giant uh, Philistine in front of him. And God delivered him. Maybe it was when he was fighting Saul or Absalom or some of these other forces that closed in around him. And he's giving thanks to God for, for that deliverance. Maybe it was one particular battle, I don't know. But it's interesting to me that here, close to what appears to be the end of his life, he's starting to, to reflect back. Maybe he's aware that, that death is closing in on him and, and he's giving thanks. If you were here last week, you remember uh, we looked at Psalm 11. Pastor Steve helped us take a look at uh, Psalm 11. And the takeaway he offered to us was that we should take refuge in the Lord. No matter how scary things get, uh, no how, matter how dim they might seem, that it's at those times that we should take refuge in the Lord. We should trust God's word. We should stand on him and be aware that the Spirit is at work in him. So, you know, I think David did that in his whole life. Now, we know David screwed up, right? Major. But when confronted by Nathan, he confessed his sin and he returned to God. God was his rock. God was his fortress. God was his deliverer. And here he is giving thanks. Now, I want to wander, but I can't. <laughs> I'll try one more time, see if this... Am I on? All right, now I can move a little bit. So when we come to Psalm 18, uh, what's its purpose there? Well, I skip ahead to Psalm uh, uh, 137. And... Uh, how do we sing the songs of Zion in a strange land, the people cry out. They're, they're in exile. Their city has been destroyed. Their king has been uh, led out of the city with a, a bullring in his nose and shackles on his feet. And the people have been dispersed into this foreign land. And they're looking for deliverance. And I think Psalm 18 is given to them as a reminder reminder of what God has done for them in the past. I mean, you know, they were in Egypt, and they looked for a deliverer. 400 years they, they waited, and they prayed, and God's mighty hand brought them out. And here they are in exile. And, and the song of David is a reminder that God delivers them no matter how dim things look. An invitation to them to see how God is working in the midst of their peril and an invitation to look forward to what God will do for them yet. It's a song for the faithful to have the eyes of faith to see how God is active in their midst. This is the context of these 
two passages for me, I think. And, and it's an invitation to us to have eyes of faith, to examine our past. Where had God been for us in our past? Where, where is God active now in what we're might, dealing with and contending with in life? And, and as we look down the road, what do we know that God will do for us? This psalm says something about the character and nature of God to me. Look again at uh, the psalms, the very first verse. I love you, Lord, my strength, my rock, my deliverer, my fortress. It's not, gee, God, you know, I'm in a bit of a jam, and if you help me out of this, I'll be thankful. I'll, I'll appreciate it, and I might even change the way I do things. No, it starts out with an affirmation. Lord, I love you. It's not conditional. You are my rock. You are my fortress. You are my deliverer. You are the stronghold of my life. You are the horn of my salvation. That affirmation about who God is, where God is, David affirms his stance, and we're invited to have such a stance alongside him. It's not our might, our wealth, our position, our reputation upon, uh, that with which we contend with life. It is on Christ the solid rock I stand. We sang that last week, you might remember. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And then when we skip ahead in the psalm to verse uh, 46, it affirms, He lives, exalted be God, blessed be my rock. The Lord lives. That's a proclamation we have too, isn't it? In the first service we sang, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Our affirmation is the grave is empty. The invitation is to come and see through the eyes of faith. We can look back and see what God has done. It's a little bit more difficult for us sometimes to see what God is doing in our life. Sometimes uh, that's a little harder to take notice of. And it takes some, for us, some of us, it, it takes a little time to clear, get clear about that. Uh, there's a reporter um, by the name of Caputo who uh, tells a story of being sent to Beirut, Lebanon. Now, for some of us, we remember what Beirut, Lebanon was like in the 70s. It was the, considered one of the most dangerous places on earth. The city was divided between the Israeli militia, the Christian militia, and the Palestinian militia, all dueling battle with each other. And uh, Phil talks about seeing 13 Palestinian women lined up outside of a bakery just trying to get a loaf of bread so they could feed their family when a Christian militia bomb went off and they were all killed. And he said, I, I was getting uh, a little jaded. I was, I was getting cynical. And I, I remember saying, what the heck were those women thinking? They put themselves out. I guess they got what they asked for.
Sometime later, his boss uh, sent him a note and said, your assignment is to go into the Palestinian sector of the city and get an interview with the head of the Palestinian militia. And he knew that that was a very dangerous assignment. And he, he confessed that sometimes reporters in the face of those dangers made up stories. But this time he decided he'd better, better do this. And so he wandered into the Palestinian area and he was confronted by two militiamen. What are you doing here? And he tried to explain to them that he'd, he was a reporter. He'd been sent to interview the head of the militia and could they help him get there? And where are your credentials? And so he reached in his pocket and he gave them, showed them the credentials. And he says, you never let go of those credentials. That was your government pass. That was your life right there. Without that, you were a dead person. And the militiaman grabbed it out of his hand. And he knew he couldn't let that happen. So he grabbed it back. And the look on that man's face, he knew he'd made a mistake. And the two militiamen said, you better get out of here right now. And so he turned and he began to walk down the street to get back out of that sector of the city. And as he got down the road a piece, he began to hear these noises and he looked back and they were shooting at him. And so he began to do the old television thing, you know, zigzagging down the street in hopes that he could avoid the bullets. And uh, all of a sudden he felt this tremendous pain in the back of his leg. His leg had been shattered by a shell and he fell to the ground. He says, I escaped because I fell into an intersection. It was the dividing point between the Christian militia and the Palestinian militia. And so those men didn't pursue him. He couldn't walk. He was bleeding profusely. And so he crawled across the street into the courtyard of a house. And wouldn't you know, it happened to be the home of a vascular surgeon. who treated him and got him to the hospital and saved his life. And he says, I spent the next year recovering and asking myself, why did this happen to me? What am I supposed to learn from this? And he says, somewhere along the line, I remembered those 13 Palestinian women who I said got what they deserved. And he says, I discovered maybe this happened to me so I would rediscover what it is to have compassion. Sometimes, sometimes that God is at work in strange ways and it takes us a while to be able to see through the eyes of faith where God is active. Maybe you remember the movie uh, Evan Almighty. You ever see that movie? If you haven't seen it, pick it up. It's a great little movie. This congressman... Uh, gets elected to, to uh, this guy gets elected to Congress, and uh, somehow uh, God calls him to be Noah. And he's instructed to build an ark. And he fights the idea, but eventually he gets convinced he's got to build an ark, and so he starts building this ark, and everybody thinks he's lost his mind, including his poor wife. And she's trying to have patience, but she just, she thinks he's gone crazy. In one particular scene, she's in a diner, and uh, the God figure, played by Morgan Freeman, uh, enters in, 
has a conversation with her, and she starts to explain what's going on. And she says, you know, I keep praying for patience, but God won't give it to me. Morgan Freeman says, well, when you pray for patience, do you think God just gives it to you? Or does he give you circumstances wherein you can develop patience? You see, sometimes God gives us things so that we can discover his presence rather than just do it. But it's not always clear or easy, is it? It's not always clear or easy when we see friends hurting or relatives hurting or we're struggling with something. Maybe a temptation's got a hold of us. It's more difficult to see where God is active. And we cry out in, in faith. A couple weeks ago, we had the witness of one of our members who struggles with chronic pain. A reminder to us that many folks struggle with that. And yet in the midst of that, wishing it would go away, still finding through the eyes of faith the opportunities to praise God and, and give thanks. Sometimes it's an illness that seems uh, intractable and unable to be cured. Maybe it's a doctor's diagnosis that drops in our lap that we, we struggle with. This week, I, I got a message from one of my wife's uh, previous music students, McKenna. Uh, McKenna is now in her early 20s, an amazing young lady. She's a great swimmer and has become a coach, but she's, a, she's an accomplished musician. And she said, uh, you know, two years ago, I was in the All-State Orchestra playing. Last year, I had a chance to play at Carnegie Hall. Now I can't even hold my viola to tune it because of the screws and plates in my face. But I am the happiest I've ever been. Trust in God's plan, not your own. Sometimes we see what God is done and what he's doing, and sometimes it's a little more difficult. And it is at that time we need to do what Pastor Steve asked us to do, take refuge in God, trust his word, believe that he is our deliverer, that he has the best for us. There is one more place where we're invited to look. Take a look at uh, verse 5 in uh, Psalm 18, the coils of the grave coil around me, the snares of death confront me. For David, it was a threat over and over again, and now maybe at the end of his life, it's there as a reality for him again. But for each one of us, it is a future reality. We all know that time comes. Sometimes along the way, we... We find death as a reality when our neighbor dies or a relative dies, our life mate dies. Maybe one of our children dies way too young. It becomes a reality to us when we turn on the news and, and we say, gee, young kids killed in a car accident. Way too young. Our mortality is a future reality. In the eyes of faith, 
we know already what God is going to do. You know, those folks in exile looked for a deliverer. They hoped for a deliverer. We know that that Messiah they hoped for has come. He lived and died. The grave is empty. We know what God has done for us and will do. Scripture says, O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? We know the answer to that. We can say, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The grave is empty. Won't you come and see? A verse from one of my favorite songs. Through the eyes of faith, we can say, it is well. It is well with my soul. We know that the Messiah, that those ancient people look for, has come. And he has done for us what we need. And we can say with that psalmist, he lives. Exalted be God, my rock. Blessed be my Savior. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, life is worth the living. With all of its joys, with all of its sorrows, with all of its ups and downs, with all of its snares, and all those places that we contend with life, we can affirm, because he lives, life is worth the living. Now there is a spot that I want to go back to that I forgot, that I, for me is very important. When I was talking about where God is active in the world now, and that when we look on the world scene, you know, we see wars that are going on and on and go, seem to move from one country to another, and we see reports of people that are fleeing for their safety, and they're gathered into these refugee camps, and they're living in tent cities maybe for years and years. And I want to tell you, I've been by some of those refugee tent cities, and the, it's terrible. The stench. We hear about refugees trying to escape dangerous places only to find the places they thought would be places of refuge being places of hostility. And we wonder, where is God? There's a song that gives me hope. This is my father's world. And though the wrongs seem off so strong, what? God is the ruler yet. And then we sing, I, the Lord of sea and sky, I have heard my people cry. And how do we respond in that song? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. I will hold your people in my hands. God sends us to do his work to bring relief to a world that's lost its way, that's gone crazy. God is at work in the world through people of faith. It's when we have the eyes of faith to see that, that we can say, yes, that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. We are invited to be his hands. So I skipped that part of the sermon. I went back to it. I got it. I hope you get it. But the important thing is that all through life, 
God is there, our deliverer, our rock, our fortress, our stronghold, our hope. And in those final days, and there will be final days, we can rejoice because we know what God will do for us, what he has shown us. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Amen? Amen. Amen.